This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Had a great interview with Demario Solomon Simmons, and we talked about Black Wall Street and the Terrence Crutcher case, but he also lit a fire under people about serving on juries and the importance of civic engagement and knowing your rights. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Demario Solomon Simmons. How'd you get involved with the whole Terrence Crutcher case? How well, did you, how'd you get that call? Well, I've been doing civil rights work uh, in Tulsa and throughout the nation, and unfortunately, uh, when that happened at home, I actually went to school with Terrence Crutcher's twin sister, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, and she called me, told me what happened, and it was just a really a shock to see the video. And once we saw what actually happened to Terrence, that he had his hands up, he was walking away, he was at a safe distance, there was absolutely no reason for him to be shot. We just really could not believe that this had happened, and it happened right literally up the street from where I grew up and where my mama lived. So I had to get involved, and I had to try to seek justice for this family, because that's what I do. You know, law is my ministry, justice is my passion, so that's what I do my clients come to me know that I'm a fight for them I'm a stand for them I'm gonna speak for them we're in an era where unfortunately your your particular job is uh, overrun like you have you have more than enough cases it's ridiculous yeah you know you Benjamin Crump and others are you know unfortunately in in a position to never run out of cases this was the case of was her name Betty Shelby yep Betty Shelby officer Betty Shelby uh and and people the other officers were like there's no problem here well you know she had three other officers there they did right. not shoot they did not uh, even bring uh, out their taser or anything well, you know one officer did bring out his taser but I think that the, the deal is that Betty Shelby said that she felt like she had to shoot and kill him. In fact, she stated in her testimony that Terrence made her do it. Here's a man that's 10 feet away from her with his hands up, and she's saying, hey, he made me do this. And so it's an unbelievable case, and you're right, Karen. We're seeing this more and more and more. In fact, I get so many calls in my office. We just can't even take all the cases because of how these things are happening across the nation. And that's one of the reasons why we also involved in trying to get reforms happen, change laws and policies, so this will stop happening to our young men and women. What, what needs to change? Because she was acquitted. So this is the thing that becomes, you know, as I was sitting here you know, with all these presidential candidates, right. and they're, they're talking their talk or whatever. But when we talk about criminal justice reform, it starts at the at the level of prosecution. Right. It starts at the, even beyond that. Right. It's not about police training. Right. Because you don't need to train somebody to be a human being to see another person as a human being to and not respect kill them. them. Right. right. Exactly. You're, no question. Have, and, and if we're using the law as the as the barometer, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely. And right? officers are not supposed to have the judge, jury, and execution power on the street. That's not their role. You know, you said one of the things that need to change. Many things need to change, but one of the things we're pushing is to get rid of abolish this word called qualified immunity. This is something that our community needs to know about. This? Qualified immunity provides a protection on a civil side from officers or government officials when they violate people's constitutional rights. This is something that's not actually in our Constitution. It's not in our statute. It was created by the judicial system, and it protects bad actors, period. We need to get rid of qualified immunity. Is this a state or a federal? This is a federal law. Federal law, qualified immunity. So we've actually... My client, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, and the Terrence Crutcher Foundation has launched a national campaign, what they call a national campaign against bad cops. Your listeners can text REFORM to 66866. That's REFORM to 66866. And that is a campaign to abolish qualified immunity and to also, secondly, to lower the threshold on the criminal civil rights side, which is 18 U.S.C. 242. That is the criminal civil rights statute that allows the federal government to actually charge someone criminally for violating a constitutional right. But right now, the standard is so high, it's almost impossible 
to bring a charge. So these things, these barriers, these structural barriers okay, protect Okay, but with this current officers. administration, even if we all text, it, text this uh, reform 66866, which we should do. Right. This administration would have to, the Trump administration no would have to do something. No question. Uh, but are they inclined to? No, when, of course they're not. When, when Jeff Sessions left and made it harder to, nope. to prosecute? Of course they're not. And, you know, all of the civil rights um, era um, protections that Obama put into place, they reversed them. Like, this administration's done just the opposite. Absolutely. But, you know, we got to keep fighting. That's all we can do. Look, I come from Tulsa, Oklahoma, the home of Black Wall Street. We were bombed and burnt out in 1921. The real story is we rebuilt. We rebuilt because we have resiliency. That's all our whole story of our 500 so let's back years up. Let's here. tell this story. Uh, we're talking with my man, <laughs> Demario Solomon Simmons. Um, you you were born and raised in Greenwood? I was. Okay. I was. What stories were told to you? Because, you know, when I read about Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's the thing that rips at my heart to, to see, you know, O.W. Gurley and um, who's a Stratford that came right, after right. him. And all J.B. Stratford. J.B. Yeah. Stratford. And, and how they built on land, you know, that was set aside, didn't know that there was oil there. And then it was like, there's oil right. in the hills. And they created the most... I read somewhere there were like 17 airplanes. People owned airplanes. Absolutely. Airplanes in the 19, brothers and 19 teens. How many right? brothers do we know right now uh, owning planes, right? Exactly. So I'm like, what What was going It was magical. Right. So the jealousy factor. Right. You know, it's like that 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 scene in Rosewood, you know, which is another town that was burnt out in Florida, uh, destroyed in Florida uh, because of the same kind of racism and accusations. But there was a scene where the, the guy with the piano, Don Cheadle's character had a piano. Right. And two white men came in and was like, hey, how does that new? have a piano right. and the guy's like you don't even play the piano right. he's like yeah but how does he have a piano exactly. you know it's like this this kind of you know how do you so tell me the story that you were told when you were little well sure let me just back up and say the thing that helped create black wall street was because of the black indians who were in oklahoma before statehood which i am one you know my family immigrated or were forced to walk on the trail of tears in the 1830s from alabama my ancestor cal tom actually helped write the treaty or negotiate the treaty of 1866 for the Creek Nation. And we have these black Creeks, so-called Creek freedmen, who I represent thousands of those, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. That land that Greenwood was built upon was originally Creek freedmen land, black people's land. So that helped with land ownership. As we know, that's wealth. That was something that people could build up and develop. And that was built up, and the Black Wall Street was the, it was Chicago, it was Atlanta, it was D.C., it was all the black meccas, it was Harlem. Right there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but it was so powerful. You had oil millionaires, you had doctors. We have we had more black doctors than what we have now. More black lawyers than what we have now. I mean, this was a mecca of a place that got so powerful that the white Tulsans they were jealous. They saw the land and they wanted the land. This was not about. They made up a story that this was about about some elevator. Somebody no. touched somebody in an elevator. That was a ruse. That was they wanted the land. They always want the land, and they always want. They got to get rid of the inhabitants. So they came in and they they marched on us. They bombed us from the street. They bought the national guard. Absolutely, Governor said you at the National Guard, the city of Tulsa, the state of Oklahoma. And guess what? Now, to this day, no one has been held accountable. No one has paid one cent, not one cent. You know, we litigated that case. I had the great fortune of working with Dr. Uh, Professor Charles Ogletree and yes. Johnny Cochran, all those great, wonderful attorneys. And we litigated that case for reparations. We lost it in the federal courts. What was the reason for the loss? <laughs> I mean, you know, you think about that if any case deserved reparations, we're talking about millionaires in the 1919s, in the 19-teens, early right. 19, right. 19, this was 1921, right? right? right. We're, we're talking millionaires who had to leave 
their homes like with just the shoes on their back if they could get out. Absolutely. Murdered, decimated, wealth just burnt down to the ground, everything lost. People Listen, just had to run for their lives. One to 3,000 people was uh, killed or missing. You had over 35 city square blocks burnt down to the ground. 10,000 people were homeless overnight. They were put in concentration camps. They were not allowed to leave unless some, some white employee would actually sign them out. This is what happened. And then they termed it illegal. They unjustly termed it a riot. It was not a riot. It was a massacre. But they used the term riot because then that invalidated the insurance contract so that black folks could not get their money for the property that they lost. So they had to rebuild all on their own. With nothing. With nothing. Starting up with scratch. Period. I mean, there's a famous picture of um, B.C. Franklin was a very famous lawyer. He's the father of John Hope Franklin the historian, where they burnt down his law office and he had to actually practice law in the tent and try to bring cases uh, for his clients. And all those cases were kicked out. Now, you ask, why did we lose in the federal system? The federal court said we waited too long to bring our case. They said, look, we understand you couldn't bring your case during segregation, but you probably should have bought your case somewhere around 1980 because that was the time period that, you know. So you they claimed a statute of limitation? Absolutely. We have a bill. We introduced We worked really hard. I actually testified uh, at Congress uh, and the Congressional Black Caucus to introduce a bill to actually remove the statute of limitations. That bill has sat there since like 2005, Who's, 2006. Whose desk is it on? Who can we? At, at the time, it was on John Conyers' desk. It was on John oh, Conyers' God. desk, someone who has, you know, been pushing H.R. 40 for a mm-hmm. long time. And we worked with a lot of those members. And so, but people. And Sheila like, Jackson Lee, who's trying to put together a reparations thing, can this be at the forefront of something? I, like, we need to. I th- absolutely, I think it should be. Because think about this we have individuals who, most of them are dead because such a long time ago. But this is a documented. I think the last woman died, Mrs. Hooker. Dr. Hooker. Dr. Olivia Hooker. Did you know her? I did. I knew her very well. I got to travel with so many of them and work with them and hear their stories and hear them talk about things like, I mean, Otis Clark, who was our oldest survivor, when he passed away, he was 109 years old. So he was 18 when this happened. He can tell the story of just losing his stepfather. They don't know what happened to him. They just never saw him again. House being burnt down. People not just not knowing where their relatives are because people literally had to flee for their lives, like you said, with any and every anything they had on their on their person. And so for this, no one to pay reparations, no one to uh, provide the, a recourse for this, no one to be held accountable. Because to, believe me, if there are still survivors, there are still people who perpetrated. And I'm just like those folks from, you know, the Holocaust era. If you find them, I don't care if they're 99 years old, they need to be brought to justice. Right. Right. And why don't we have the appetite here? 866-801-8255. Because this story is infuriating because it wasn't just Wall Street, Black Wall Street. It wasn't just Rosewood. It wasn't just, I mean, there were like 19 of these so-called riots. Right, so-called. During, yeah, right. during that summer, there was like the summer between well, 1919 and 1919. It was a red right. summer, they called right. it. Exactly. Riots, same thing, built con- uh, whole communities decimated. That's right. Um, and I didn't know that the riot uh, demarcation absolved them from paying insurance. Absolutely. I didn't know that. If you look at your insurance premiums now, you have some some exclusionary language, what we call it in the law, that talks about acts of God's riots, things of that nature that they don't have to be responsible for. So our, our level of oppression is, is, is so deep and so systematic that they just they just heap things on us at all times. It's our responsibility now. That's what I say. We have to continue to fight. Think about what my ancestors had to go through who walked the trail of tears. Our ancestors had to rebuild from these so-called race riots, these pogroms, as we call them. But they had to rebuild. They had everything working against them. They had the state government against them, the federal government against them. 
just like we have it now, we have to continue to fight. But the, to build in the first place in a, in a country that didn't see you as a full human being, right? Because uh, black folk didn't have the right to vote. That's right. right? Didn't have any, any kind of agency whatsoever except when O.W. Gurley in Stratford decided to take that land and build homes and then sell homes and then build communities and then build streets and then build schools and then post offices and it hospitals it, it, hospitals turned hotels, into hotels bowling alleys and that's the great point i hate to Movie cut you off but we, no, we, we we talk about you know it was many millionaires but the real beauty of black wall street was that the black dollar circulated up to 36 to 40 times before leaving in the community now obviously that's a different time period segregation was will but just think about having a self-sustained self-contained community that you can actually help each other build each other put wealth in each other's pockets. I mean, that's the mentality that we want to go, get back to, the black Wall Street mentality. I couldn't agree more. That's why I was so excited that you were coming in. Demario Solomon Simmons is in the house. We're going to talk a little bit more about Terrence Crutcher, but I want to I want to stick on Black Wall Street for a second because, you know, we have a promo that says, you know, Karen on the show, building Black Wall right, Street, right, brick by brick. Right. But I really do believe we can do it again. But we need to know from a legal standpoint, because this is a country of law. That's right. How we protect ourselves from the so-called riot, how we protect ourselves from the jealousy that's in- invariably going to happen because our stuff is just so fly. That's right. When we do stuff, it's fly. We we know how to make chitlins into something that everybody want to eat. <laughs> no one else can do that. Those are entrails. Anybody right. else those are, those figure are, out how to make that nasty stuff into something delicious? We did that. That's right. We do it over and over that's again right. in many different ways. So I'm, I'm I know that it's going to happen again because we can't be stopped. Right. But how do we protect ourselves? Well, it's interesting you said it because I am actually about to launch my Solomon Simmons Legal Academy to do what you're just talking about, teaching our people about our basic rights. We don't understand legal concepts, and if we don't understand and know our rights, we lose our life. And what I mean by that, too many times, Karen, in my office, I've sat with clients who, if they just had the most basic legal knowledge, it could have saved them thousands of dollars. It could have saved them years of heartache. It could have literally saved their life. So that's something that we have to get to our community. We have to get more understanding of basic legal education. I mean, we all heard about the uh, tragic death of the brother Nipsey Russell, a hustle that happened out there in L.A. And I'm, 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 I'm saddened because he lost his life, and I'm hoping that he prepared a way for his children to have a proper will, proper estate plan, because we saw what happened with Aretha Franklin when she passed away. We all loved Aretha Franklin. She was a very wealthy, successful woman. She didn't have a will. Prince didn't have a will. That throws turmoil and chaos into your family. And so one of the things that my mission for our people is to teach us just basic understanding of legality, the system, how to hire a lawyer, what you need to be thinking about to know your rights, protect your rights, and assert your rights. What's the best age to have a will, Samaria? You know, as parents, we need to have a uh, estate plan for ourselves and our children once they get the age of majority, 18. At that point, once you die, if you have any asset, you're going to have a way to be able to transfer it over legally to the right person. What we see often in our community, you know, people are staying in Big Mama's house and they say, hey, I pay the taxes so I can stay there. But they don't own the house. They don't have a deed. So why, when you don't have a deed, yeah, you can stay there, but you can't get a loan. Uh, if you need to improve it, you can't use that as equity if you want to buy something else. So you don't really have that asset. But I think if we can just explain that to our people in a very innovative uh, easy to understand, not a, a situation, oh, I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to talk down to you. I'm going to use words you don't understand. No, I'm on your level. I'm from where you're from. I want to make sure you have this information. Case in point, I had a, a, a mother in my office who her son was killed in a uh, car accident. It's very tragic, and this happens often. 
she didn't have what's called uninsured motors. Now, I hate insurance companies. Let me just be clear with you. I sue them. I hate them. But if you have car insurance, make sure you have uninsured motors. So many times black folks say, or my clients say, I'm, I have full coverage, but they don't have uninsured or underinsured motors. What is that? That is just a simple piece on your policy that costs pennies on a dollar that says if someone injures you and they don't have insurance or they have less insurance as necessary, then your insurance will pay for you. Many times we think about, oh, I have full coverage, so if my car gets stolen, I can get it replaced. Or if I wreck somebody else's car, I can replace their car. But what about you as an individual? What about your lost wages? What about your emotional distress? What about your, your, your time away from your family? That can be recouped through uninsured motors. So just small things like that is what we have to get to our people. I love it. So when is this uh, academy happening? May tomorrow? 1st. May 1st. So, but they can go to my website, SolomonSimmons.com. SolomonSimmons.com and get signed up. But we're going to start. We're going to launch it May 1st. And how long is it? Is the academy for? Is well, you just signed up. We're going to have uh, modules there that you can go through. We have question and answers with some of my some attorneys, some of the best attorneys from around the nation will I be participating it. in that. I love it. You can ask questions of those folks. And we'll just walk you through a, a very easy, understandable program so you can know, protect, and assert your rights. So who told you about yourself growing up? <laughs> How did you learn about yourself? Because you seem like you know who you are i do you know i had i had a good family I had a praying grandmother vernie's mama brown i mean she, actually she's been gone 20 years this last march 13th i can't even believe i'm still able to move forward without her here but you know she instilled so much love and pride in me my grandparents integrated their neighborhood when my mother was two years old my mother's handicapped she had cerebral palsy they went through everything they went through the rocks they went through uh the, the people breaking their windows calling them nigger all that type of stuff so she always instilled them to me to have pride and tell me that a good name is better than gold. Stand up for yourself. One of the things I would say, stand up to Mario. Stand up. They called me the Martin Luther King in seventh grade. And my grandmother pulled me to the side. She said, now you be careful now. But I want you to be a strong man. Mm. Was she the one that encouraged you to go to law school? No, you know, no, she had already passed by then. Um, I decided to go to law school. I was a football player. Played football at University of Oklahoma. And I thought I was going to be a football coach. And the reality is... <laughs> I didn't become a football coach because my wife, who's sitting outside, Mia Fleming, she wouldn't, she didn't want to move to Eastern Kentucky where I had a job, and so she was my fiance at the time. So I decided, well, I just go to graduate school and stay here in Oklahoma with her. And then I decided to go, go to law school, and I'm, I'm glad I did. But that's the true story. Is she a Tulsa, Oklahoma Absolutely. native as well? Absolutely, she's a single, single. Uh, her mother they have one child. They, they just. Thickest thieves, they're not going anywhere. She said, you can go anywhere you want, but my mama, I'm staying here with her. That's a, There's a level of pride with that, with Black Wall Street, with Greenwood. Um, people that stayed, people that were able to stay and rebuild. Because that had to be horrific. No question. Had to be horrific. What's the trajectory of that area now? Is is there land available? Because I've, I've been reading some right. stuff. Tell me if, if somebody wants to go in and invest. Is it something that could be rebuilt? It is. To uh, that level. Yes, I mean, you know, the downtown in Tulsa is really growing, and it's been a lot of gentrification, which has happened all across the nation. And the thing with gentrification, we know what it is. We know what's going to happen. We have to be at the forefront and try to try to control it or be a part of it because uh, governmental powers are coming in, and, and, and they're doing what they do. They're doing what they've always done. And so there is still some prime real estate available. In fact, there was just a huge issue a couple of weeks ago where what we call our Tulsa Development Authority, which is a governmental entity that acquires land, and they have a terrible history of acquiring black land and not doing anything with it, that the black community stood up and said, no, we're not going to allow you to do this again. You know, you're not just going to come in here and say, oh, this is blighted and it's not worth anything, and you taking it, you give it to your friends. So 
I definitely invite people to come to Tulsa who want to help build the community, help keep the history going and make sure people know about Greenwood and Black Wall Street and all the black towns that were in Oklahoma. We had most all black towns, the Black Creek Indians, the Black Cherokee Indians. I mean, the history of black Oklahoma is the most unique, the most rich and probably the most unknown in the history of this world. I, I think that is true. And it's, it's interesting when you talk about gentrification, because when I think of gentrification, I think what happened to Black Wall Street was gentrification. No question. By violence. That's exactly what it was. Gentrification and, 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 you know, people moving into the neighborhood, they could just take it by violence back then. That's exactly what they did. They deputized 2,000 whites. In fact, we have documentation. Walter White was an NAACP worker at the time, and he looked like a white man. He happened to be in Oklahoma at the time of the the massacre, and he was able to get himself deputized. With, along with these other white men, and he writes that a white man turned to him and said, I can shoot any nigger I want, and the law can't do anything about it because I am the law now. 866-801-8255. Can you take some calls tomorrow? I sure can. I'd be All happy right, to. I'm happy to be here with you, Karen. I'm huh? happy to see you. <laughs> Jonathan. Jonathan in New Jersey. You're on with Demario Simmons. Solomon Simmons. Solomon Simmons. Hey, Jonathan. Hello. Uh, hello, Karen. How you doing? Awesome. This is becoming a regular thing to me, and I'm I'm uh, loving it. Um, uh, Attorney Simmons, great to speak to you. Absolutely, to, glad uh, to talk to you, sir. Two two quick things. Um, first of all, um, about the reparations for Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's really unfortunate that we have to call them reparations, right? Because reparations is sort of like a reparative, restorative type of justice, because there's no other legal process to you know get what you get get. Get for you what you deserve, right? That's correct. That's correct. A tort. Like there's damages. There's actual damages that you can you can show here. There's a causation that you can show here um, for for those damages. Like there's no reason why, especially in, in this day and age, why a court should not be able to or should not have allowed you all to pursue this egregious offense by the federal government against a people specifically because they were of a certain race and a certain portion of the the population. It just it blows my mind that, that that case was thrown out for such, you know, ridiculous reasons. Uh, my second point is with the Terrence Crusher thing, you were, you were asking or talking about things that need to change. The primary, primary thing that needs to change is the words, I feared for my life. The fact that we allow police officers to use that phrase, to get out of the responsibility to be an officer of the law and hold their gun and not shoot a potentially innocent person is what has caused all the problems for every single case, civil rights case we've seen. The fact that they can say, I shot him because I feared for my life. Yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, it was a cell phone. Yeah, no, it was just a shadow that I saw. Yeah, I was a coward when I went there and my heart was racing incredibly fast and I didn't know what I was going to do. Or I'm a racist. my life. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I feared for my life. As soon as they say I feared for my life, not only does the law allow for that to be reason enough for them to get off, but it every single human being, white, black, whatever, when you hear that term and you look at a police officer and you say to yourself, well, you know what? He deserves to go home at night. So if he feared for his life, that was okay. Right. 
You know, but the issue with that is that is not actually what should be the standard in the the court of law. Graham v. versus Connor says this is a reasonable, objective standard. In other words, it's not about what the subjective officer feared for his or her life. It's about what a reasonable officer would have done under similar circumstances. That's why in Betty Shelby's case, when you look at an individual who was in Terrence, was 10 feet away with his hands up, he was unarmed, a reasonable officer in that situation should not have shot and killed him. And three others didn't. Absolutely. So how does she walk and how does she get another job you know it's like she's still out in them streets let me tell you something that's gonna blow your mind it was three black people on the jury that, that acquitted her yep I told you that's gonna blow your mind three black because we 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 are all in this system you know nelly Foley says if you don't understand white supremacy everything else will only confuse you period oh my God. you know we don't understand jury duty and that's one of the things also we want to teach our people about the importance of jury duty duty and what that means and having that understanding of what is the legal ramifications so you telling me three that. black people were in that jury and not one of them hung the jury the guy that shot michael slager who shot Walter Scott in the back seven times had one person on that jury was like nope I ain't convicting a white man Say for it. shooting a black person hung the jury Michael Slager's still out that's right now he'll probably go go back and get convicted but well you know he, one he, person hung that jury yeah Slager actually you know he 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 pled guilty to the federal charges but you're right there was an individual that was able to see a man a police officer shoot a, a man in the back seven times and then take a taser and place it next to the man, right. planting evidence and still say, I'm not going to convict. I'm not convicting him. But in the Terrence case, we had three African-Americans on the jury. Oh, my gosh. That, that and hurts then, my heart. And then, Karen. Don't make me ang- more and angry. And then that same jury wrote a letter, wrote a letter that was published in, in the court case that said, we do not think that Betty Sherry was blameless for what she did, but we just didn't think we had enough evidence to convict her. Now, you're talking about some pain on my family to know that this lady has walked free and a jury is saying they had one job. They had one opportunity. They equivocated and they write, write a letter and say, hey, we don't think she was blameless, but we just didn't think we had enough to convict her. You also represented um, seven rape victims in the Daniel Holesclaw case. That was one case in Oklahoma that a uh, police officer actually went to jail. 263 for, years. Yes, yes. And your seven your seven victims, they were, because the case was, ton, was turned on, the, on a grandmother. Right. Uh, Jenny Liggins. Yes. Was yeah. she one of your clients? Yes, she is. Okay. She is currently one of my clients. And this is the thing about this civil rights work. They're fighting us, too. We're five fighting years for in. what? What are they fighting? He got convicted. Yeah, but the city they don't want to they don't want to ha- be held accountable. They saying, look, it wasn't our fault that we had this rapist cop that was raping women, starting his first assault on an African American woman, but be- began in November of 2013, all the way up to June 18, 2014. They had they they knew this guy was. They should have known this guy was out there doing what he was doing, using his position as an officer to pick up women and rape them, and uh, with his authority, knew you know, and he wouldn't have been caught if this one grandmother didn't say something. Absolutely, but we have another client by the name of Terry Morris who reported on May 24th that she had been sexually assaulted by an officer. She did not know his name, but she gave a description. The description matched him. She gave a description that matched him. They knew by May 29th who the name of the officer was. We have the documents to prove it. By June 3rd, they had him in a photo lineup. They knew he was a suspect, yet they kept him on the street for two more weeks. He raped four more women. 
three of them being my clients. And now and now the city is fighting us fighting tooth and nail. They don't want to take us responsibility and not paying. And my clients, these women, they didn't ask for this. They were already wow. in some of the worst situations. They were already low income. They already had some issues. And this has really pushed them over the edge. They are suffering. They need help in the city of Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is fighting them, even though they had this, this rapist out on the street raping these women, targeting black women. So we're, we're right in the middle of that case. We're fighting that case uh, every day. 866-801-8255. Let's go over to Mitchell in New York City. This is disgusting. Hey, Mitchell. Hey, how you doing, Karen? And uh, your guest is just on fire. I, I, I mean, the, the man is just powerful. I, li- I like what he's doing. I, I have to ask him a question, though. When it comes down to the the um, the kidnapping of our children and putting them in these foster care systems and that, um, what uh, have you seen any of that? Or have you been because they're trying to fight and get those babies back, man? After they kidnap our children, okay, take our kids. Uh, it's like it's like uh, pulling teeth from a hungry lion. You can't hardly get them back. Have you ventured into that? Any of that? You know, I haven't myself personally, but one of my best friends just had a case very similar to what you're saying, where they tried to make some charges up on a on a black father and then take all of his children based on one allegation by a a, a, a friend of one of his daughters that was not substantiated. He had six other children. They took the children from the home, and it was a big deal. And after three or four months of fighting for his children, fighting for his life to keep them out of the foster care system, he finally got his kids back at home, and they. He was finally exonerated so that definitely does happen and again sometimes we don't understand our rights and what i mean if someone comes to your door from the government and they want to talk to you about an issue you say i'm not going to say anything until i have a lawyer period don't say i don't have anything to hide don't say i'll talk to you don't say i am not talking to you if i don't have a lawyer and that sends a message to them that you know you, your rights that's right know your rights protect your rights assert your rights and it can cut off a lot of things now Karen we know if you got someone that just wants to violate you some white supremacist or somebody that just wants a, a bad will you, you may not be able to stop that just by knowing your rights but 95% of the time 95% of the time, if you know your rights, say the right things, people going to move on down the road because they know this may be a, a problem, problem if yeah. I violate and this And they don't guy. want any problems, they which is why problem. Daniel Holesclaw, he had targeted women that were prostitutes and were, were you know, uh, of a certain uh, class of people because right. he knew that they didn't have the right. agency to be able to fight back. And, and what, what my client well, he said, thought. and my client said, who, how am I going to tell the police on the police? Right. He knew that. Right. But he targeted Janie Liggins, who didn't meet any of those criteria that he set right. out, and that was his big mistake. Yes, yes. And we're going to make them pay for that. We're going to make Oklahoma City pay for that. And like I tell my clients, I don't care if it's a city, a state, a country like the Creek Nation. If you violate my clients based upon some type of discriminatory action, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to fight you with everything I have. Love it. Charles in Indiana, you're on with Demario Solomon Simmons. Hey! Hey! Boy, y'all on fire today. Okay, hit it. What about the judges that they're putting in? They're putting in place now. What kind of plan should we be getting together to go? At, man, you're not going to be able to go to court without seeing a racist Republican judge sitting there. Yeah. You know, the only, the only thing we can do is, is vote out and get a new executive in an office. And that's, I'm so glad you brought up the judges. I think everyone that's talking to any 
presidential candidate, you have to ask them, where are you on judges? Because, see, the Republicans understood the long game. They understood what was at stake at that last particular election. That's why they didn't care about what Trump was saying, what he did. McConnell and them said, we're going to get our people in there because they want minority rule. People think, oh, because the country is getting more diverse. Look, South Africa was 95, 98 percent black. And those Afrikaners, the whites, ran, ran everything. That is the model that the Republicans are trying to do today in America. And the judges is a big component of it. So the only thing we can do to stop that is to flip the Senate and get a different executive in the White House in 2020. And it's if about, not, I, I was saying it was about the Supreme Court, but it, I didn't even factor in the federal judges. Yeah, the district But I courts. knew that, that was, the judges were important, and I was like, I don't care if you find pictures with Hillary with babies. At the end of the day, it's about these courts. We didn't and make it a big enough we did priority. Not. I we mean, did not, not only do we have judges in there who are uh, openly hostile to racial uh, discrimination, uh, racial uh, justice and voting and, and sex, sex uh, uh, equity, we also have judges who are just totally incompetent. So that's going to impact us because when you have judges who have never had any trial experience, they're going to try to kick cases out because they don't want to be exposed during trial. So right. who is that going to impact? Poor black and brown. That's period. Right. That's right. Audrey, Audrey in Pittsburgh. People want to talk to you, Demario. Demario Solomon Simmons is in the house. Audrey from Pittsburgh. You're on. Welcome. Hi, Karen and, and Demario. I am so excited to talk to you guys. I love your show. I just started with uh, Sirius Radio, and I am so addicted now. Oh, um, <laughs> love you guys. Um, you. I'm calling it up to kind of piggyback on the last caller with the judges. With the three, you said there were three black people on the jury who voted uh, the officer to get off on killing someone. Yes, ma'am. Most of the time, it's the judges. My husband did a criminal case. And he said the judge came in and gave them directions that there was no way they could convict the client, even though they knew he was guilty. But the judge, what the judge, the, the instructions that the judge gave them, there was no way that they could convict them. These judges are corrupt and they need to be taken out of court. Um, I have three young boys. They're all uh, ones in college and two are right behind them. One. One did a uh, paper on Thurgood Marshall, and he wants to become a judge based on what he learned. So we need to get our our children to start studying so that they can be put in the place to to replace these judges and and the people in power. Yeah, well, that's why you're having your your whole. Your program. Oh, yeah, my legal academy. Absolutely, we have we have to have the information. And at the state level, you know, any people that are lawyers and good standing, they can run to be their local judges. And I encourage people not just to vote, but to get involved in the political process. That's being candidates. That's going to meetings. So if you if you want to have change in your city or your county, find good candidates that can run for those judgeships, district attorney's office, city prosecutor. We need to have good, strong, goodwill people at all levels of government. But education is important because no matter what the judge said those jurors had all of the power the they judge could the instruct you however you don't have to listen to the judge i mean we got to tell our people understand when they're on the jury they have the power to do what they feel is right based on their own right. their own moral they're compass yeah. i will say in that case there was one thing that was interesting is that the jury they didn't get an opportunity to eat, eat for like i think it was like 12 hours and you know, when you back there in the, in the jury pool, and I've had case, I've had cases where I had a client had a, a towel left in her stomach, and we lost that case because the juror was just just ready to go home. 
They was just ready to go How home. How they just ready to go just home ready to when go people's home. lives are on the line? And guess what? It was it was a young brother who just said, man, I'm sorry, but I was ready to go home. I was ready to go home. But see, that's what I'm saying. That's that education oh, that we want to provide to our people to understand what is at stake. Because a lot of people don't understand what is at stake even when they go on jury duty. And too many of our people want to get off jury duty. And I'm encouraging all of our people. I don't care if you're a doctor, a business owner, whatever you are. I know you're busy. I know you may lose. Get on the jury. And be a strong advocate for justice. Don't do anything illegal or wrong. Just be a strong advocate for justice. Don't be punked by somebody else on the jury to do what you know is right. 866-801-8255. DeMario's in the house. I, just one more question about Black Wall Street. In addition to understanding our rights and laws and things like that, how else can we protect ourselves when we rebuild or we when we build our community? How so, do we protect ourselves from that ever happening again? That should never happen again. It should not have happened again. And you gotta, you have, you have to have economic and political strength. I mean, obviously, the three things that governments use is political strength, economic strength, and then force. Well, we don't have force. Okay, so that's not that's we don't so have could that. Could we get like the fruit of Islam or something? Is it like a, <laughs> I mean, you could, saying, like but but I I think if we defense. build up, if we. <laughs> Just saying. Now, you know, in the, in the paper that I wrote about Black Wall Street in law school, I, I did make the argument that we need to just uh, de-annex. We need to de-annex become yeah. our own uh, municipality. But then you got some issues dealing with, you know, how you're going to raise revenue and things of that nature. But oh, well, we got a trillion dollars we spend. We don't need to raise revenue. I, I'm not against it. I'm just okay. telling, I'm not against it. But but traditionally, if we want to build our political muscle, get people that we believe that will, will, will represent our interests into local office into state office and then have an economic base, you know, build, we need, we need mm. some banks. We need some institutions that will care about our issues and, and fund our freedom. So if, if black wall street, if the folk in Tulsa, Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma had the right to vote and they had a right to put people on the council, they never could have sanctioned that government sanctioned bombing. Right. Because there would have been people on the council to say, Mm-mm, no. Right. But, you know, we, we're talking about 1921. Right. When Tulsa was right. the hotbed for the KKK. I right. mean, it was it was Ugh. it was it was a hotbed for the KKK. People don't know the first the first uh, uh, law in Oklahoma was segregated phone booths like that was the first thing they thought about. Like what? you think about it, this is a new law. This is a new state. Wait, 1906. Hold on, hold on. And the first thing you pass Senate Bill one is segregated phone booths. That just show you the mentality of the people. That was so they going didn't on. want no <laughs> white woman to have her face up against the phone that a black man had his face up against. So weird. Racism is weird. <laughs>